Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to season seven of the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be finding out what the lads have been up to on their summer holidays. Then we'll be having a chat with Worcester boss Steve Diamond to find out exactly what's going on at the club and we'll have a look at finances in general across the Premiership. Then we'll also look ahead to the start of the brand new season in the top flight. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed to Spotify. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Boom. Andy Rowe, as clear as ever. Andy Rowe, that's it. You're done for the season. You've done your read. (laughs) (laughs) Sit back, relax. (laughs) How are you, boys? Good to see you all. You should see Jim. Oh, does he look good? Goody, you know I'm not in a good place. It's good to see everyone. I wish I was more energised today for the first episode, but for a number of reasons why we can get into. But I'm great. Andrew, you've been on... How many holidays you've been on in the last three months? Three. There you go. I mean, you just say it, you just say it as if it's nothing. How many holidays have you been on in three months? Three. I am worried about you. How was your summer? I'm all good. Matt, I've been good. I've had a quiet period. We didn't go on holiday, I don't think. No, we didn't, know. No, you did. Well, we went to New York for a few days. No, rewind. That was work. You talk about a holiday. You took the kids to Costa del Cov, you told me. Yeah, they're probably better off going to prison than going back to Cov, I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Not great. Always get worried going back there. I don't know what it is. It's like, it sounds big time, and it's not meant to sound big time at all, but... Like sometimes when I go back to Coventry, it's very different for you. I don't know whether you go back to Miss Goo's house. I'm sure you do. But where I lived in Coventry, I go back to these certain areas. It's basically the fucking hood, right? I go back to the hood (laughs) and I find, I don't know what's the the reverse of nostalgia where it's just, I'm going down memory lane, but they're not good memories. But I like going back there to see where I grew up. Sometimes I bring the kids, but not late at night because they're not great areas, but. Like PTSD. A little bit like that. But yeah, I went back to Coventry, Goody, as I went on holiday. Sorry, if that's what you call a holiday. While you were in (laughs) Portugal with Michael Owen and a couple of Love Islanders and a few other places. Such a contrast. And you got a new car. We saw it on social media. We know you got a new car and we know it looks good. (laughs) I, I mean, yeah, I've had a great summer, but back to you, Jim. I'm just glad you're back because I've spent a lot of the summer... Getting away from rugby, just recharging the batteries, going on holiday. And I'll, you know, I might come into a bit of that in a minute. Getting my golf handicap down. I'm down to six now. So I've had a great summer. But people have been coming up to me and saying, Goody, what's happening with the podcast? Jim's going on his own. He's got the big Jim show. He's, has he left you? Have you left him? Have you, are you not doing the podcast anymore? 
And then you've come back with your little tail between your legs. The Andy Rowe show's going on as well, apparently. And the gang is back together, right? You, you've all tried to go... Andrew, s- thank you for plugging us. Yeah, you've all tried to go solo <laughs> and you've realised that, nah, it's not the same, is it, boys? Mate, we're always going to come back to headquarters. We were always going to come back to HQ. It's like you've got a gravitational pull, Goody. That's what it is. I have. So I think that's uh, your way of saying, Jim, your show has been absolutely smashing it. The one with Kelly Brown just went through the roof and off the back of that, <laughs> I'm doing this as a hobby. I'm not, I love this show, Andrew. You know, it's central to my life and our lives. Yeah. And I know yeah, people have missed us. And it does feel like it's been a longer period away. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's your three holidays. Maybe it's me <laughs> in... Coventry, but it is what we're trying to say is to the listeners, Andy Rowe, myself, and Goody, we're we're happy to be back, aren't we? We are delighted to be back. We are delighted, and I had generally I've listened to your Big Jim show numerous times, numerous different episodes, and it has gone down really well. Uh, Andy Rowe, I haven't listened to any of yours, haven't had time. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely, it's it's great to get the band back together and start seasons. Who'd have thought seven seasons? We're start of season seven. We started in a pub having a rake of beers and then saying, what should we chat about? And now we've got running orders. We're, you know, the biggest rugby podcast in the world. It's amazing. Goody, I saw you in a swimming pool with your top off, mate. Yeah. Well, do you know what? One of the holidays I had... Delighted to say, you go on holiday and, you know, I've mentioned when I've been away before, normally I go back to April when I was in Dubai. I was winning the battle of the bods around the pool because you see a lot of dad bods, right? And I'm thinking, I'm I'm a bit of a mess of a bloke these days after playing rugby for years. But I'm still around the pool in way better nick than most dads. And then when I was in Dubai, Anthony Joshua walks down and I'm like, oh shit, he wins. Obviously, the bodybuilder. He's not a boxer, he's a bodybuilder. And then we're in Portugal in the summer and walk down to the pool same hotel that we go to, lovely place. They look after us, the Comrade. It's unbelievable. Walk down to the pool and I've looked at this guy and I'm like, he looks like Michael Owen, but plus about five stone from the Michael Owen that we all remember playing football. And there I was in the pool and I see Michael Owen. He's there. It's him. He's got a worse setup than me these days. Hang so, on. Uh, Hang on, Goody. Are you saying you've got a better rig than Michael Owen? Yeah, possibly. I don't know. But no, it's just great to see a fellow athlete or ex-athlete, should I say, is just enjoying retirement a little bit more than perhaps uh, he should. Uh, but we've had, yeah, we've had a good summer. We've been on holiday, but reality has kicked in over the last week that uh, I'm about to go to the school shop, buy a load of school uniform. How expensive is school uniform? Absolutely ridiculous. Do what we do and go to Asda, mate. That's it. <laughs> I've packed the girls off to school today. It's their first day at school. They've got on their school uniform. I'm about to pay the school for. I've got to get back to work, boys. I've got to get back to the podcast. I've got to get back to speaking engagements, hosting at Leicester. The Andy Good suite might have moved up the M69 or down the M69, whichever way you want to call it, to Leicester Tigers. Who knows? I've got to get back to work because school fees have been paid. <laughs> uniforms through the roof. <laughs> Cost of living crisis is crazy for everyone. So, yeah, it's great to be back is what I'm saying. And, yes, I did mm. have a holiday or two mm. or three. And Michael Owen is in worse nick than me. But It sounds like you're struggling. Andrew, yeah. it really does sound like you're really struggling <laughs> and you've really been hit by the pinch. <laughs> Goody, you mentioned retirement before. Jim, you've come out of retirement. Well, you say that. Goody, I know you put something out on Twitter about a a kind of shopping list of my do's and don'ts and what might happen in the game at the weekend. So for the people who don't know, I played in Billy Twelvetree's testimonial against the Classic Lions. I promised Beck, I swore in my own life, that I wouldn't play rugby again. But as things escalated, and we can maybe talk about Ed Slater's situation throughout the podcast, but Billy Twelvetree smartly aligned himself with... Ed Slater, and I was brought into the fold to basically captain 
Billy Tw- I wasn't captain, but I should have been captain. <laughs> Billy Twelve Trees testimonial. Just claim the vice captaincy again. You say that. I knew I weren't a vice captain after the first collision. I was like, I'm done. <laughs> Absolutely. Mentally, I wanted it. Mentally, I was there. Yeah. Like before the game, I'm being serious. The fingers are taped. I've got the cycling shorts on. I've got the 21 inch studs on. I'm looking at Rave and I'm not laughing because. But 21 inch or 21 mil, Jim? 21 inch going in there. <laughs> Trying to, trying to kill a man. <laughs> Whatever. They were 21, so they were long. They were long because I tell you now, my feet are in absolute pieces. But forget the studs. I'm the only one wearing studs because it was uncontested scrums. And I tell you what, good. I know you've played in one of the games before, but there's lads playing in this game. Matt Banahan, 127 kgs he weighed in before. He's just retired. You've got Matt yeah. Garvey, just retired. Alec Brew. Like as in just retired, he might even still be playing. I don't even know. You've got some of the like Billy Twelve Tree plays, uh, Don Wardock plays, and uh, I say all that. They're all in my team. James Hook, right? And I'm thinking, well, he like Hooky looks old now. He's got grey hairs everywhere. Like he's looking old. <laughs> and this is where I realised, Goody. So we scored first driving line out, and I'm like, I go up in the line out, and that is like riding the bike. I go up there, and I feel unbelievable. I come down long place. And I'm on shaking them all, and we go straight over, right? So I'm like, right, we're on. <laughs> the kickoff comes back, right? Comes straight on top of me. I thought, fuck, I ain't catching this. So I slap it as far back as I can, what? right? Yeah. Why didn't you catch it? I didn't want to get it. <laughs> so <laughs> genuinely, there's something inside. Like, I thought I wanted it. I thought I wanted it, but then it came to the contact, and there's obviously something saying, don't take contact, or, or you don't want it. Anyway, so we've ended up handing the ball back over, and we get within five metres of the opposition try line. Hooky's at 10. So I'm thinking, just kick it, Hooky. Just kick the ball. No, he sees a gap outside me. I don't know like where the guy outside me is, but there ain't anyone there. He could have went straight round me, but instead of going straight round me, he comes close to me. So he makes it like think I can tackle him. And my, my shoulders don't want to go in there, so I, I go with my hands. And he hands me off in the chest, right? And almost knocks me out by handing me off in the chest. My head goes back and I'm fucking seeing stars. I've got pins and needles in both my arms and I'm raging. So, because I'm embarrassed, right? I'm in front of the shed. I'm like former Gloucester captain and I am raging. He goes around me, skins, well, there's no one else to skin, but he would have skinned everyone else. Ends up scoring. I told Beck I played 20 minutes, but I actually played 55. So for the rest of the game, I'm thinking I'm going to put a shot on Hooky. James Hook is having it, the whole thing. Whatever I got near him, I'm going with my hands. Like, the body didn't want it. <laughs> never again. Yeah, the mind did, but the body didn't. The, that, and I've never had that experience. The mind wanted it, Goody. I wanted to fucking smash him. Fucking smash him. I was going hands first. It was embarrassing. So, for the people who watched, <laughs> I'm sorry that I put myself out there. But all for a good cause. Seems a while ago now, but let's take a look at the summer tours, shall we? What did you guys make of Ireland? What happened? Mate, how goes that? But Andy Rowe, fair play to you. You've gone straight for the jugular. The arrogant Kiwi isn't so arrogant anymore, is he? Not no. only did Ireland pull your pants down, Argentina pulled your pants down. You pulled yeah. their pants down last weekend, just gone. But yeah, Ireland, it was amazing, let's be honest. And on holiday, I was away in the same hotel as Andrew Conway, the great monster and Ireland winger. Great bloke, we're having a chat. And I'm like, mate, how was the tour? He's like, mate, I wasn't on it. I was fucking injured. So um, thanks for that, Goody. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so you didn't watch it? Uh, I did watch it, but it was a few weeks after and I was five coronas deep by the pool. And I was like, mate, how was the tour? Was it, mate, amazing, right? He's like, no, I've had knee surgery. I, I didn't go. So yeah, I felt, I felt about this big next to him by the pool. He's in good shape as well, by the way. But yeah, I mean, Ireland, obviously, first and foremost, their first win on New Zealand soil in the second test. So one of them, that first test, I thought it's classic Ireland. As soon as Sexton goes off, because he got banged, 
Ireland just went to pieces. Lost that first test, and I'm like, geez, if Sexton isn't playing test two and three, it's going to be a long three weeks. But classic New Zealand, classic All Blacks, a little bit arrogant. Yeah, I thought you could probably rock up, and no, Johnny Sexton came back and led the troops like you wouldn't believe, and they win the series. So yeah, they were brilliant. And world rugby at the minute, in terms of the international game, is in an unbelievable place, I think, because it's so competitive. We are seeing teams going and getting victories in places they've never got victories in before. You know, we'll come on to Wales. They beat South Africa in South Africa. They'd never done that before. You know, England gone to Australia. Ireland winning the series down in New Zealand is the greatest thing, I think, that that country has ever achieved in terms of rugby. Yes, they've won Grand Slams and other things, but it's just phenomenal to go down to New Zealand and win your first ever Test match there and then back it up and win the series in the fashion they did after going 1-0 down. It's it's monumental for them. So Ireland in great shape. There's a great buzz around Irish rugby at the minute and it builds up. We're a year out from the World Cup, aren't we? So hell of a time to be an international rugby player, whoever you're playing for. It's all to play for. It's, there's no favourites going to this World Cup at the minute, is there? Goody's mentioned most of it there, and it is a little bit of old news, but I suppose as we look forward, just to reiterate that point, obviously it was huge going down to New Zealand and getting a series win, losing that first game, like you said, and winning the next two. But it's the way they did it. The physicality, not seen anything like that, like consistently. The back row, Kayla Miel, Doris, mm. obviously Ty Byrne, Laz, we've spoken about, Laz, we've had on. You know, Josh van der Fleer, European Player of the Year. I mean, just collectively, it was unbelievable. Like, absolutely immense. You can't talk about it enough. And again, another point that Goody said then, and we're going to get into a load of the issues that are in and around rugby union at the minute, especially in the English Premiership. But internationally, you can't watch these games. You can't not watch the Wales-South Africa, England in Australia, and obviously the Ireland against New Zealand in New Zealand and be like, oh, rugby's struggling. They were phenomenal. And normally, and we had a bit of downtime, didn't we? Like normally, because the summer is quite quiet, it's under the radar a little bit. But I think that these summer tests for me kind of changed the makeup of this next year, obviously because of the results, but the quality of rugby because of how good it was. You don't normally see summer rugby or, you know, if you're listening down in the Southern Hemisphere, which a lot of people are, winter rugby down there. But these June-July series, I thought Ireland were unbelievable. Talk about other countries there. Obviously, Scotland, down in Argentina, who we didn't mention. Well, we went with a second team. So, we beat Chile. Did you see that one? <laughs> but you won a test, though, didn't you? Yeah, be, well, you know what? Fair play to Argentina. Before, with all the changes that they've had, obviously, Checker, players now dotted all over the place. The fact that they'd lost Mario Ledesma... I'm thinking, oh, probably do something here. 2-1, maybe. Nah, fair play, Argentina. And again, they've beaten the All Blacks as well. So I'm not that bothered now, apart from the fact that Scotland have got Argentina and the All Blacks and Australia and Fiji. Oh, God, we're fucked. We're buggered. (laughs) Coming up in the autumn. But this is the way to look at it, Jim. You beat Argentina in one of the tests, right? We beat Argentina comfortably in one of the tests, yeah. So Argentina have gone to New Zealand and beaten New Zealand. You beat Argentina, therefore Scotland are better than New Zealand. You've said it. Effectively. I don't know what the world rankings are, but I did see something that it, New Zealand and Scotland were about the same, Andy wrote. Fifth yeah, it's going to be a hell of a ding-dong at the end of the year at Edinburgh. It is. Mm. It is, yeah, absolutely. Goody, did you see enough from England? Uh, yeah, I did. And when you look at it, same as what happened to Ireland and New Zealand. You lose the first test, and I'm thinking, oh, God, 
you know, what's going to happen. And I joked, I was on Stan Sport with the guys over in Australia pre the first test. And I flippantly made a comment. I was like, oh, and if you beat us 3-0, you can keep Eddie Jones in Australia. No, no, Eddie Jones wins that series 2-1. He's a hero again now. But listen, it's I saw enough. There's obviously some good players coming through. Billy Vanapola was back to sparkling form. I thought the axis between Marcus Smith and Owen Farrell grew a bit. Henry Arundel comes on and, and does ridiculously well. Jack Van Portfleet, you know, got given time at nine, obviously started uh, one of the tests, came on very early in that third test, made a huge difference. So there's some real good young players coming through who had really good tours. Courtney Laws was just immense as a leader. And you just hope we build on it because, you know, the bottom line, that's the first bit of success really that Eddie Jones has had looking at competitions yes we beat South Africa last November but you're going back our last two Six Nations have been poor I think we've won four games in those two last two Six Nations so to go to Australia a year out from a World Cup win the series 2-1 with the pressure that we was under and now looking at the World Cup looking at the draw flippantly looking at the draw before Argentina dismantled the All Blacks over there I'm thinking we've got Japan and Argentina in our group happy day straight through to the quarters if we beat them then we'll play Wales or Fiji probably in the you know, in the quarterfinals and then it's, you know, could be any one of the big teams in the semi. So it looked like we had a comfortable passage, but now, as Jim said, Argentina, fair play to them. They've come back. That's going to be a hell of a ding-dong for us, not only in November, but in the World Cup in a year's time. So really exciting. England, disappointing Six Nations, bounced back on tour with a 2-1 win. Some young players getting some game time and coming through. You just hope that Eddie Jones sort of harnesses that and we continue to try and attack a bit more and grow as a team as opposed to, you know, just going back to a bit of type and, you know, losing games and kicking the ball away too much. And, you know, fingers crossed we'll have a big year. What about him losing his ship? Oh, That's yeah. the first time ever. He didn't want to fight the Glaswegians, did he? So when it happened with the Scottish <laughs> lads, he knew there could be a headbutt flying around or even a weapon used. But on home soil, what did he get called? A traitor? Yeah, I mean... It's, it's not the worst thing. I, yeah, it's not yeah. the worst thing Eddie Jones has ever been called. Come over here and say it, mate. What'd you say, mate? <laughs> Come here and say it, mate. <laughs> Knowing full well that that guy can't get on the pitch to say it. I've been hard behind some barriers before as well, Eddie. It wasn't harsh abuse, was it? It was a bit of banter. But he reared up, didn't he? he was but that shows you, you where, know. like, the, I know what you mean, but that's the first time we've seen him break eight. So uh, he's broken it. I think he's broken in different ways around in press conferences when he's been a bit spiky, but it's the first time he's ever broken properly with a fan. Yeah, of course. You touched on Wales before. Were you surprised that they got the win in South Africa? No, said before. And I feel like I'm regurgitating the same old crap. I kind of am. When have you ever talked at Wales? Let's let's be frank here. I, I said when they played South Africa in the World <laughs> Cup in the semi-final. I must have said that about 10 times. And without Alan Winch, I'm joking. I'm joking. The guy's an absolute hero. They could have won that series. Actually, I didn't love the games that much. And again, it is a while ago now. They could have won that series if it wasn't for that intercept off Dan Bigger, right? The penalty was taken by South Africa on the edge and obviously lost the... Not, I'm not blaming Dan Bigger. He's one of my favourite men. But the way that South Africa play is comfortable for Wales because it's physical, it's up and down, it's straight. That's what Wales are comfortable with. You know, Scotland will give them a completely different test than the Six Nations. You know? <laughs> like they just will. I'm not saying anything. At some point, there needs to be a demise. I hope it's not soon because I've made to look like an absolute idiot. But uh, again, like you, th you actually think about what we've seen with the series and a team that some idiots on the podcast or one idiot in particular talks about Wales saying that they're done 
and then they go and win a test match in South Africa against the world champions. And you could say if it wasn't through one decision or one controversial decision, they would have won the series. Well, let's focus on the new season now then, and we're going to have a chat with Steve Diamond in a minute. But just briefly, for many fans not up to speed with what's going on at Worcester at the moment, what on earth has happened and how bad is it? Well, I'll give one line, then Goody can give some detail. It sounds like they're fucked. Why are you being horrible, Jim? Well, I'm just spitting facts. <laughs> From what I, I know, that's easy to say. That a lot. I don't want to joke about it because there's people that will listen to this podcast that are at the club. There's some great people at the club, but it doesn't look great. Regardless of how it unfolds from here on in, it doesn't seem or feel like it's great, which it obviously isn't. But you wonder and you hope that they're going to come through, but... We'll go into a bit more detail. Obviously, Goody played for Worcester, so he'll be closer potentially to some people in that. But from what I've learned, what I've heard, what I've been told, that this was inevitable that it was going to happen. And there's a few kind of dark stories of payments not being paid, Ooh. historic image rights not being paid, COVID kind of breaks that were promised that were going to get paid when they came out of COVID that haven't been paid. And we can maybe ask Steve Diamond if he's receptive to it, but there feels like a bit of an inevitability around this with Worcester Goody. Yeah, I mean... First and foremost, desperately hope that something gets agreed, new owners get to take over the place with a passion for the club. I'm not saying they didn't have a passion for the club initially. And this is the big thing. Worcester is a club that was built by Cecil Duckworth, who was an f- unbelievably fantastic human being. You know, he built that club from the bottom up. You know, he bought all the land around Six Ways, developed the whole stadium, the infrastructure, everything in and around that complex. He's developed to try and make it sustainable to sort of guarantee the long-term future of the club. And that seems to have been dismantled slightly with these new owners. Now, these new owners aren't passionate about Worcester Warriors in a way that Cecil Duckworth was. And you look at a lot of the other owners around the club, they are passionate about that individual club. Before we get into the depths of of Worcester and and the issues, this is across the premiership, right? Every club... Uh, and there's been some figures banded around over the weekend around the debts and the, you know what they're owed in terms of tax and all this stuff. And there's there's no smoke without fire with a lot of these figures, but we've seen the CEO, Laurie Darumpel of Harlequins come out and say they're factually incorrect. But there's no smoke without fire in terms of where the finances are for every premiership club. Now, every premiership club somewhere, there's an owner who is footing the bill, the deficit effectively, and, you know, we, we spoke about it a few months ago, for maybe a year during COVID. 50 million quid was the collective amount that the Premiership Clubs lost in a year prior to COVID. So obviously COVID exasperated everything, made it all worse. And now these owners at Worcester, from what I gather, are realising that actually we need to get out of this. We've got bills coming out of our ass. We are in debt like you wouldn't believe. In terms of the business itself, it's taken a huge hit over COVID. What's it generating? What's our projected numbers? We can't afford to pay the tax. We can't afford to pay that. We need to get out. Effectively, that's what it sounds like to me. And factually, I don't know all the ins and outs of it. You hear stories, and I did a column for Rugby Pass, you hear stories that they basically moved the the six-way stadium in and out the the company. They moved it to other companies. They moved land. They sold a, a block of land for £50,000 to another one of their companies. They're also owners of Morecambe Football Club that's up for sale now as well. So I don't know whether they've got in too deep and realised that actually it's not as viable as they thought. They haven't got the, the pockets deep enough to keep it alive. And the bottom line is there's a lot of good people at that rugby club, be it players, be it more importantly staff and people that live and breathe that club and it's their livelihood as 
unbelievable staff members that would have been there for years that rely on it as a business and there's various different alternatives to that you know consortiums being put together to try and buy the club but with that has got to come all the land and everything there and and some consortiums i think there's two are willing to take on the debt and the risk obviously of that so these two owners are businessmen that are now looking at it going what can we get out of this where we don't have to lose our shirt personally what can we keep and and so there's a bit of asset stripping going on they've come out and made a statement saying we're not doing any asset stripping but i know that things have come in and out the company itself so they moved out from what i heard they've moved the ground out of the business into another company but they had to put that back in the business to get the grant from the government the covid grant and all this stuff the influx of about 13 14 million quid whatever it was so the books aren't being balanced and in every rugby club and this is the pure facts of professional rugby at the minute pretty much every rugby club is, has got a, a deficit to to find a black hole in terms of finances that someone somewhere you can name Seymour Kudry at Newcastle you could name you know obviously the consortium at Saracens you could name Derek Richardson at Wasps Leicester's a, a slightly different kettle of fish Bruce Craig down at Bath you've got Simon Orange at Sale you know and these are guys that are basically filling the black hole at every club at the minute to keep them alive and trying to turn the business to be profitable to try and make it sustainable in the long term. But, you know, in every business, you're taking on debt and creating debt to try and get to that end goal of, of, of being sustainable and profitable. And at the minute, we are clearly on the, you know, a slippery slope with, it's not just Worcester that have got this issue. Obviously, Wasps have got the issue around the bond that they took out. Other clubs, you know, have got significant financial difficulties as well and we heard from that and covid has made it even worse so how bad are things at wasps well from what i understand and i don't know the full ins and outs of it it's all based around the the bond that they took out in 2015 obviously they used a lot of that money to purchase the the stadium refinance of the bond has been very difficult in the financial situation the world sees it in at the minute i think they did a lot of work to the Coventry building society arena to try and increase the value so that effectively you go into a remortgage situation where you've got more equity in the building itself and it should be easier to refinance. Now, whether that has matched up, I don't know. What I do know is they found it very difficult to refinance the bond, which a lot of businesses would just do exactly the same thing that took out a bond. But obviously you need collateral, you need skin in the game for someone to be able to finance a, a building stuff and you need equity in that to, to be able to do that so i know was found it difficult i spoke to a number of people at the club last year and they thought it was nearly there and, and nearly ready to go and then it didn't come through and i'm hearing now that hopefully i think there's they've found an agreement with a, a financial institution to to be able to service the bond and refinance it but until it's announced who knows you know it's quite interesting isn't it when you look at all this around one of the biggest leagues in rugby union in the world which is the Premiership, and I think it's one of the best leagues to watch competitive, the teams that are in it. But anywhere else you look, really, Andrew, correct me if I'm wrong, Yeah, it, we're not hearing these things, and there's a, a few reasons why. So the top 14 is flying, right, because of the media and the TV rights and the way that they're funded by big owners as well. So that's one thing. And that's the same principle. You, you're relying on a benefactor. I, I went through it at Breve. I played at Breve. We had... A guy called Daniel Derisborg, fantastic guy who owned, he actually bought the company. I don't want to say company, he bought Breve by buying a scrap metal business. He didn't even know Breve was part of the, the business. So Breve was owned by a scrap metal company that he bought. He, he was looked at the books. He's like, oh, now I own a rugby club. Pumped a load of money in because he wanted to get Breve back to the good old days. 
And then the financial crash came and his board of directors voted that he was burning X amount of million euros at the rugby club each year, just filling that black hole. And they said, you need to sell it. And so he sold it onto another consortium. And then they didn't have the resources because they didn't have the the money or the will to just go spending willy-nilly. So it happens, you know, you look at Biritz in France, you know, they, they got relegated. Basically, you go back to our Leicester days, Biritz were the top team in Europe because they had a backer, they had money. You know, that guy goes, same with uh, Toulon with Bougelau. He had the, a world 15. You know, he he suddenly leaves the club. They haven't got anywhere near the, the spend on, on players that they had. And that's that's life. That's the way each owner can run their business. Now, so in France, it's slightly different. But in France, though, there's a couple of things, Goody, for, on that. And this is the discussion I, I, I spoke to Flats about it today. Everyone's got an opinion. You're well-versed on this as well. But France, the salary cap is 14, 15 million euros so they get the best players. All the stadiums are sold out. The Canal Plus deals bigger. Pro D2 is, is a decent league as well. So that's one aspect of it. URC are funded by the unions, so it's a slightly different model. But all these are standing the test of time and the test of COVID. Now... I've always thought, and I think we've always said it as well, there's felt like an inevitability around Worcester, around Newcastle, maybe not so much Sale and other teams that we're here. I don't want to name other teams that I'm privy to some information around them as well who are struggling, but it felt like for years that it hasn't been sustainable. So I suppose my question, the comment or whatever the discussion is, is, well, we knew it was going to happen. It felt like it, we were at breaking point anyway. So who's going to do anything about it? Because, you know, yes, whether you drop the salary cap or you increase the salary cap, a million pound here, a million pound there to each club is not going to pay the deficit. I know the Mail published their numbers and we know that they're not correct, but either way, they're in debt and it's a few million pound. But on the one side, you've got, and I don't know what the numbers are of rugby in New Zealand in terms of the finances around that, but they're backed by a huge brand in the All Blacks. Silver Lake. Silver Lake have obviously come in with huge investment. Australian rugby struggling as well, like we kind of know that. As, but we've got one of the best leagues in the English Prem. CVC have gone quiet on everything. It seems like all that money's gone already. So I don't really know where or how, even if Worcester's sorted, mm. how you even get out of this mess. Well, it's been it's been a problem for 25 years since the game turned professional, right? In terms of balancing the books and trying to make it as commercially viable as possible. So people have been writing checks since day one of professional rugby that they cannot cash in terms of trying to make something profitable. You know, wages have taken a hit over the last year and a bit. The salary caps come down, et cetera, et cetera. COVID kind of pushed that a little bit. Start reality in the premiership, you go back to what Saracens did. So other teams chased it. And Saracens were doing it because they were chasing the French teams because they had a bigger budget just try and win Europe. And this is the thing where, you know, you look at football, Man City, as a business, they're probably hemorrhaging money left, right and centre. But they're the most successful team at winning the Premier League at the minute. Blue moon. Because they've got the most money. There you go. And, you know, you don't want sport to become a game of money. And part of the reason the salary cap is what it is, because, you know, I think one of the early lines of what the definition of the salary cap is to, to provide a level playing field across the premiership to give everyone equal opportunity to try and win the bloody thing. Yeah, Goody, I get that. I, I, I get, you know, like you say that about the, the and that's honourable. <laughs> that is honourable. And I know that we are slightly different on it, but I don't see anyone, how anyone comes into rugby as an investor unless you've got something else aside from, like Worcester, for example, they've got the land at the side or Gloucester can use the stadium to host Tom Jones ahead of a, 
semi-final if they choose to do that. I'm not saying they've done that. Leicester have now got a hotel on the car park. Like I understand that, but surely if you're coming in as an investor of rugby, you know, Simon Orridge comes into sale. I don't know what the average gate is. Let's let's be kind to them and say it's five thousand. Why are you being horrible, man? Is that being horrible? Sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's let's say seven. Let's say sale get seven thousand. Let's use Newcastle. Let's give them ten. We'll give them ten thousand. We know. Wait, so, hey, there was there was eleven in there when I used to play up there. Well, there we when go. There was but, relegation well, battle. Not Andy Goob was playing. There was eleven thousand in that. Stadium. Maybe it was a relegation thing. The excitement around that. But at no point. Even now, even more so now, is money going to come into the game to be like you know what? You could say with Worcester could be profitable away from the rugby, which in itself isn't great. I don't think someone should come in and be like, right, I'm going to buy Worcester because I can build 10,000 houses on here and kind of repurpose the land. And I will stick to this. I don't know. I could change my mind. I don't think it is an investment. I think it is a a hobby. I think it is like, right, I've, yeah, is. I've got Conor McGregor money. I've got whatever money. I've got a lot of money, you know, Rishi Sunak money. And... <laughs> I want to buy a rugby team and I want rugby. I, I want to win Europe. And, but they can't do that now because they won't win Europe because the salary cut's been bloody decimated, hasn't it? But I don't <laughs> think there's a model and people hate me for saying it. Me and Simon Orange were going back on Twitter. I've had people, you know, Mark Evans spoke to Simon Cohen, spoke to some people who know much more about the business than me. But at what point is anyone looking at it being like, yeah, I'm going to get into a big and make a shitload of money? Mm. Well, no, you're not. Let's wrap this up in a way then, guys. If you're walking in, you're in charge, you're calling the shots. Like, what are you doing to fix this problem? Is there anything that you could say, you know, you've got full autonomy, you can do whatever you want. How are you fixing this? Short-term fix, survival of the richest. And part of that is that clubs are going to fold and Saracens and Bristol and these teams will win games if that's what their owners want to do and that they want to invest money. I just, and I think that that, unfortunately, whether we like it or not, and I'm shooting from the hip saying that, I don't see any other way, really. I, I mean, one, it's going to take time. So part of that time is that means, I'm not giving you a short answer here, is that the teams are going to have to concede the Champions Cup because they're not going to win that, are they? When you're up against an unlimited salary cap in the URC and in the top 14. So at, at no point can there be an expectation. So actually, you're like, well, what's the fuck? Well, unless they get paid a decent amount of money from the TV, what's the point in playing in it? You need to get your own house in order before you start cleaning other people's houses. Do you like that analogy, Andrew? Yeah, very good. Yeah, exactly. Very I've evolved. Chance. I've evolved in the last few months. But I think Worcester, unfortunately, is the first of a few. And people are talking about this rugby reset. Unless the union come forward, England, let's be having you. And it's a real shame because the Gallagher Premiership is such a fantastic product. And with relegation coming back and appetite for a couple of teams down there to come up, but I don't see how it is salvageable with no not like it's not as if there's like whispers coming out of what Prem Rugby are going to do, what the RFU are going to like. There's nothing. Goody, how are you fixing it? Yeah, I mean, I, the thing that I'll pick up on what Jim said then around Worcester, I desperately hope they don't go to the wall. One, it's a club I played for. I love my time there, even though I didn't see eye to eye with the coach Richard Hill. Cecil Duckworth put his heart and soul into that club and was a phenomenal bloke. Now there are viable options. The owners don't want to lose their shirt and they'd rather see the, the club go bust but keep some of the land and, and keep other stuff without them to pay it all. What the owners have got to do is wipe, wash their hands with it, walk away and say, we fucked up in, in a roundabout way. We can't afford what we thought we could afford. We will sell the club to... There's two consortiums that I know of that have put bids in, I think, to, to tender and 
one of those has got to try and take it over. You've got to have that dream. Jim mentioned it then around you know clubs in the championship that want to have the dream to come up. There'll be owners that will think, I can do better at Worcester. I can fix the issue there. You know, I can invest. I can look at certain things that I can improve, the infrastructure of the club, where I can cost cut, where I can make it more profitable, how I can use the land in a certain way that generates more revenue. And you've got to let them have a go because I don't want to see clubs go to the wall. I don't want to see a, a smaller competition. But the clubs ran away with themselves in terms of where the wages went and that created a huge black hole, which now, along with COVID, has, has exasperated it. And I think commerciality is the way forward. You've got to get the boys interacted more. Yeah, I saw something online the other day. How the hell are kids who are watching all the international rugby games meant to associate themselves with a player when he hasn't even got his name on the shirt? So, you know, international rugby, something simple, like get the names on the shirt so that kids can look at certain players and, and want their name on the shirt. And, you know, that might increase productivity around merchandise and things like that. I don't know. There's not a quick fix. There are things that we could do much better. I desperately hope that Worcester don't go to the wall and whether it's Jim O'Toole's consortium, whether it's another consortium that buys it out and keeps the club going, keep that dream alive that one day they can win the premiership by an owner that wants to invest and you know, openly knowing that he's got to fill that black hole at some point. Goody, you've lost your touch, mate, commercially. You've come up with, I've come up with none. I've come up with no ideas apart from throwing the money at it. You've come up with put a name on the back of the shirt, let's save rugby. <laughs> Me and you are going to change the fucking world. <laughs> no, I'm saying that's just a small part of it. But commercially, you know, getting players more involved with stuff, you know. You've got to create heroes for kids. Yeah, you've got to create heroes. You've got to then create storylines around characters that companies want to invest in and, and be part of. And, you know, for the meantime, we're going to have to rely on some very generous benefactors to keep the game afloat, which is what's happened for the last 20 odd years. Well, we can have a chat now about it all with Worcester boss, Steve Diamond. How are you, mate? Very good, thank you. Dimes, it's class to have you, mate. Big fan of yours. First question, and it's a really important one. Who's been walking the dog <laughs> while all this is happening? <laughs> Unfortunately, the old girl passed away. Oh, Jim, oh no. Jim you have yeah. a shock. Sorry. The back legs went, and I took her to the vet, and the vet, who's a mate, said, see you later. Leave her with me. Oh, oh God bless her. Yeah, 12-year-old she was, old Leah. Oh, well, that's a good age, Dimes. Well, I mean, I don't know what it would be like if you had to walk the dog then because you've been very busy. Let's start with that, with how busy you've actually been. Hey, hey, to be fair, you know, a bit unusual, but as most people know, I'm a bit unusual myself. I don't like it when it's all running smoothly. So it's been a challenge, but it's been some of that I've welcomed and you've got to get through it. And I think the lads have held up, the staff have held up really well. The players have been unbelievable, to be fair. And what's really come out of it is a lot of support from the rugby uh, fraternity. Yeah, it certainly has. And Dimes, just looking, seeing on social media and seeing you know, some of the interviews you've done, it seems like you're taking it all in your stride and you love a challenge, right? You're that sort of bloke. You said it yourself then, you don't do things easy. Just get to the crux of how hard has it been? What detail can you give us around the situation with the owners and, and where we're at currently and how hard has it been for some of the players? Because we saw on social media, one of the lads said he you know, was made homeless because of it. You know, Nick Easter, who's a good mate of ours, he's obviously moved his family down. He put stuff out on social media. It's been pretty brutal, eh? Yeah, it has. And everybody's got a story to tell, I think, Goody. But I, I think the, the worst thing for it is, is a lot of the, the players and staff, if I'm honest, remember I'm older than most, all of them, to be fair, it's uncharted waters for them. 
you know, we're all supposed to live in this sort of glamorous sporting world where, as you lads know, you know, there's only a few people make a lot of money in this game. And a lot of the lads are on average money, to say the least, and some are on low money, certainly the young lads. So certainly with the kids who were in the academy house, that it was distressing for them. Thankfully, there's a good set of lads at Worcester, like most of the clubs that there are. You know, Ollie Lawrence has took Ollie winning. Various other lads have got the lads living with them and stuff. It's just the uncertainty. And the breed of professional players these days have never had jobs, to be fair, apart from rugby. They're that generation below where I come from. So they're used to having everything given to them, really, and expecting quite a lot of stuff given to them. And when, when your livelihood's taken away from you, potentially, then... It's difficult. They've never. Had, they might have had to deal with a girlfriend getting rid of them, or, or a bit of rejection that way, but or not getting picked, for example. But actually, being told it could be over has been difficult from from the young kids right the way through to the the senior pros here and the staff. You know, notwithstanding the players, you can't forget the staff. So that, that's the hard bit trying to trying to navigate that. But again, there's a lot of people here who've who've helped me. And Mark Jones, the coach who was here when I arrived. Uh, Nick East, who's just been here. The irony of it is when Easter, Easter moved into his house in Cheltenham was the, 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 bomb, the day the bomb was dropped, you know. So everybody's in a different circumstance. But well, to, to a man, they've all stuck to, uh, to, to, as we've said, sticking together. And it's a difficult time. I'm pretty sure if we can get through it, and we're getting through it, we are getting through it. And I'm not going to bullshit you there. We are. The players have been paid. The staff have been paid. Uh, 60%, 65%. And the owners are looking to fulfil that commitment by the end of the week to the other staff. So it's not easy. But again, there's no point whinging about it, lads. There's only 13 of these jobs in the country, isn't there? And if you have one, you've got to realise how precious it is and, and make sure you do everything in your power to look after the people who work for you. And I've always done that, if I'm honest, behind the scenes. And and it's no different here than just... Uh, I've only known them six months, but uh, I've got I've got a nice feeling for the players. And one of the things you mentioned there about you've always looked after the players and 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 you've got a good feeling for the players. You go to the nth degree to make everyone feel comfy and happy and everything. Is it true you've put your hand in your pocket to pay players and and help players out and all that stuff? Because you know, there's rumours coming out that you you have done that, which is a, a very honourable thing to to keep everyone on the straight and narrow. I suppose in the difficult times and the hour of need, I put the offer out there. So far. Nobody's took me up on the offer. You know, it was just in case that, you know, in the uncertainty of what was going on, if there was someone who needed to get hold of some money or they needed somebody to pay bills. And if they had no other option than to ring me and come and see me. But a lot of the lads thanked me for it and, and what have you. We've got some good sponsors here also. I've, I've attempted to help the ownership in, in what they're trying to do behind the scenes. So... One way or another, we're getting through it. And I don't want the emphasis to come on me being the, the knight in shining armour. I'm not. I work here. I, I like to think 95% I'm a good bloke. 5% we're all, you know, got our own agenda. But you, you have to do your best and you have to be as helpful as you can in these circumstances. Because remember, you lads know like I know. These lads have to give blood every Saturday for us, don't they? Yeah, and Dimes, with that, that is one of the things, not that I heard your speech, but I heard about your speeches in the lead-up to the end of the season when you came in, is you're asking players to do that. You're asking players to show you how much they want to be at that club. And then obviously we find ourselves, or you find yourself, and the players there and the staff in the predicament they're in. So for you, I suppose the burning question is, there's obviously a game in a couple of weeks, right? So you're going to ask the players 
to do that because in order to win a game or even to not get injured, they're going to have to do that, but they still might get injured. How is the landscape now? Is it accelerating positively or is it ever-changing still? Well, I th- it's, it's going positively, Jim, and I'll tell you why. One, the playing staff and, and the majority of the backroom staff got paid over the weekend, which is a relief for the, the immediate sort of paying your mortgage, paying your rent, et cetera, et cetera. But the next thing is, if it, if it would have gone tits up, then they have to be in the shop window. So we had to keep them training. And it had to be mutual. I can't tell people who effectively thought they weren't getting paid to train if you're not getting paid. It's certainly the game we play. So we took contact out. But if, if anybody knows me over the last 10, 15 years, we do very little contact anyhow these days. But we took contact out, cancelled the game in, in uh, Inverness with Glasgow, and they were brilliant about that Glasgow. I must thank them. They, they were really understanding about it. What we did do is we kept them fit. We kept the running going. We kept the skills going. We kept the stuff low level, sort of against bags and stuff going. But there's still an opportunity, unfortunately, for people to get injured. But, but again, and I'll refer to you two because you played more recently than me. You'd be going to practice half-heartedly. You get an injury, don't you? Now, over the weekend, they've come in today. Honestly, they've been outstanding. They've trained really well. Of course, everybody says that in pre-season. But for what these lads have been under, and for what I'm asking them to do moving into London Irish, Exeter, Newcastle over the next three weeks, it's a miracle we've got a team going to London Irish. If we put in a really good performance, having played no games, it's going to be another miracle. And if we can win the game, I'll get knighted. (laughs) Can you give us a bit of information on then what has happened, what is happening currently around... The ownership, we've seen stuff in, in the press around you know, various different aspects of the land being moved around, all this stuff. You know, Jim O'Toole's come in, the ex-CEO, and he's got a proposal to put together. Where, where do we stand in terms of the current owners? I know more comes up for sale as well, the football club. Are they looking to get out? Are they looking for a new owner to come in and take everything on? Are they still actually saying we can make this workable? Yeah, well, I think, I think the, the, the current owners are in a position where it's a cash flow issue. Forget the debt for a minute, because as long as you can service the debt, you can run businesses. Most of us know that, who have got our fingers in other pies. I think part of their land moving around has been to subsidise the business over the last sort of summer period, when we know there's no crowds in May, June, July or August. And I think they're looking at all options from what they've communicated to me today, is that if a potential purchaser comes in who can take it on, then great. If not, they're working hard behind the scenes to, to find another solution. Dimes, are you hoping that someone comes in as in anybody or are you hoping, I mean, not that you've taken a risk to go down to Worcester, but you obviously want to go there and change the history of the club going forward in terms of them being a successful team. Are you wanting people that come in, Dimes, that are rugby men or women first and then commercially driven after or are you not bothered because there's obviously a commercial opportunity with the size of the opportunity with the land around which is what is being spoken about yeah well there's a couple of questions there jim i'll try and answer them if i can for me coming out of sale after such a long time and working at sale with not a lot of money and then jed and simon brought into it and then we went from being a six seven eight team to a fourth fifth six maybe third team and Sanders will take that on, as he's done. So I know how to build them. Reputationally, I had 12 months out, and then I got the call to come here. Reputationally, I thought, is it the right thing? Do I wait in the shadows for another club? And then I thought, actually, this fits the bill for me. 
actually they've been over resourced, but not always got the right talent pool. They've got a fantastic facility, which for a long time we never had up the road in Manchester. And I thought, well, I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to lose. And that's why I targeted last year. After Solly and JT with Pi Company, then I targeted the Premiership Cup because they never won that. And I targeted finishing not bottom, which we managed to do by beating Bath on the last day, which are two massive things for me. Sort of rungs on the ladder, so to speak. So I then whittled the squad down, brought eight or nine good lads in who are all not big names, no disrespect to them, and I, they know I say this, can become premiership animals, 100-plus games, regularly play 20 games a year, whether it's in Australia, Italy, or over here. So I thought we'd have we'd have a, a highly competitive sort of win-at-home mentality. Going to the question of, I'd like to be involved with, with whoever comes in. You know, as people say, I don't want to just be... I'm not a coach. And Brian Majata made me laugh last week when he said on a podcast about... I said to Neil Briggs that I'd rather put the French hooker than him before a game. That's how I deal. I, I, <laughs> I'd like to have some say on the direction of it, if I could. And if, if, if the right investors come in or the current investors stay here, then the current investors use me a lot. Because, to be fair, they, they own a football club, but, you know, I've run these rugby clubs for donkey's years for people. You bring people like Nick Easter, who's a young, ambitious coach, Mark Jones, to name but two of the staff here, who, you know, you want them sticking their hands up in the next 12 months, two years, saying, pick me as head coach, Dimes. You know, and that's how it works. Does it have to be all rugby and business second? No, it's got to be a collaboration. It's got to be a combination. The people have got to realise if you come playing squad, then you're not going to sell your season tickets. You know, it's a simple chicken and egg situation. And Dimes, with immediate effect, the game at the weekend, right, that comes up, I, I don't know much about business. I'm not qualified in, in that field and how quickly these things go through. I'm right in saying there's nothing going to go through before the weekend, right? Is that an obvious thing or not? Probably nothing before the weekend. I think over the next month, things could happen if they're going to happen. Last thing I want to ask you then, Dimes, I saw a comment. I, I had three great years at Worcester. I say great years. I enjoyed my time there. I had a great connection with the fans and Cecil Duckworth, not so much Richard Hill but we won't go there. I saw you said something about what they've done previously, pay, overpaying people and uh, those players didn't put it in for the jersey. Was that aimed at me as well or not? Because I ain't happy about that if it was. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> Fortunately for you, you've got a long and distinguished career right the way to the very end of it till they, they walk you into the graveyard. But um, <laughs> uh, no, no. When, when I said, I'm not picking on anybody individually. If you looked at the talent that sale I've had over the last 10 years, 12 years, and you looked at the Worcester talent, it's non-comparable. And, and last year when I first came here, people would from opposition clubs would come and say, Dams, how did they get it so badly wrong? And yeah. I, I think it's a brilliant, homely, community, premiership club. It's needed a kick up the arse for a long time. Just lastly from me, just on the community element of it, I was chatting to Dean Ryan in the week. He spoke about the size of the mini and juniors there. It's mm. a place where I used to go to as a young kid with the training facilities, but the Southwest, obviously Worcester, you know, Gloucester, Bath, Bristol, mm. all them teams in that area. How have the community been about this? We've seen everything on social media from the players and the staff, but I imagine there's a huge, huge desire for you know this to continue and for to grow like about the stuff that you've mentioned and become a force to be reckoned with yeah and i think i think i think that's the most touching bit about the episode over the last couple of weeks you know once you you see the personal messages and you know the the protests from 
the supporter group, they're really nice people. They don't protest because they're, they're uh, the feral. They protest because it means so much to them. And the, the only way they can show their frustration is by doing that. And I agree. I would be like that if I was a supporter. I think it has an, a massive opportunity. The academy area is so vast, literally Chester down, right the way down to here. The supporters, as in season ticket holders, match day ticket holders, are fantastic. They love the place. They really do. The sponsorship group, the Adam Hewitt, for example, who offered yeah. to sort of fund our trip up north before I decided to call it off. Just that, that doesn't take any arm up the back or persuasion. That was done voluntarily. So I think if the current owners can get the finances right, if all the new owners come in, then will we see a sellout here against Exeter a week on Saturday? Hopefully. If, if the team can put on a, a hard-working performance, which doesn't always have to win, as we know, but as long as you show what you're about, then I think we can build on this near disaster. Well, uh, Dimes, I was going to say, I played with Billy Twelve through his testimony at the weekend and Dave Hilton, who's 70 years old, sat me down. And if he hadn't sat me down, I'd come and run through a wall for you, mate, for free. <laughs> <laughs> I can't run any more Dimes. I'd kick goals for you, though. I'd definitely kick goals for you. I'm worthless. I'm a pint together afterwards, couldn't we? That'd be class. Well, good luck, Dimes, mate. Genuinely. Right man for the job. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Best of luck this weekend and, more importantly, throughout the whole season with what's going on in the back office. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Dimes. Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dimes. Legend. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Top bloke. And do you know what? And he said a few bits there, didn't he, around what happened with him at sale and the shoestring budget that he had to work on at the time. There's no better man to be in charge, I don't reckon. In the history of Premiership Rugby, if you want a scrap and you're in trouble one way or the other with the financials or whatever with the club, the way Worcester are and the position they're in, I don't reckon there's any better bloke than Dimes. You you, you generally would run for a brick wall for him, wouldn't you? I would have loved to have played for Dimes. 
he never approached me really. I, I think it's because I abused the dog and I didn't realise how much he loved the dog. And I feel Mate, bad now that I mentioned that. How bad? I know. Bad? I, know. I know. I mean, it should have been an obvious one. It's been years. We've been doing this for seven years and we spoke about the dog <laughs> seven years ago. But I agree. Yeah. I mean, Dimes or Dino, they're this kind of two cut from that kind of old school cloth. But yeah. And he, he mentioned it there. I know we mentioned Worcester before. And again, we're not here to joke about it. Just because we've had him on, it's not a case we're going to talk him up, but I agree with Goody, right man for the job. But look what he did last season in a short space of time. Like, And he's up front, he's honest, art on the sleeve. You know, Can you say dodgy dealer these days? I don't mean like that, but as in old school. He mentioned some of the lads that he's brought into his side. Who do you think has been the best signing in the Premiership this summer? Oh, Andy Rowe. Andy Rowe. Mm. Oh, well, Zach Mercer, but obviously he's not no, this summer, is he? Year. But he was announced, yeah, which year. was, I know, I know, but he was announced, but I know it's next season. For me, I reckon, and I'm fanboying him at the minute, Ellis Genge, Bristol. Bristol underperformed last year, and I think part of that was, oh, God, I can't be too harsh. Well, I just don't, I, I think they lack something up front, That something. And I think with Genji, you're not just getting a, someone who can scrum and who is a loose head prop. We know you're getting a proven leader. You're getting a Bristolian or a Bristol's, however you look at it. You're getting a ball carrier and you're getting a lad who's one of the best players in the world now in your front row. And I think Bristol will be better. So off the back of that, Bristol are going to be better this year. They've signed AJ McGinty. Good signing. Very well. good signing. Very mm. good signing. We saw how good sale were with him. So I would say him because of that. So Ellis Gensh, I think Bristol will be better this year. I hope they're better this year. There's part of me wants to say George Ford. He's injured though. But I'm going to go with Genji because I'm loving him at the minute. Goody? I completely agree with you around Ellis Genge. And ordinarily, I would just say, Jim, you nailed it. 100% will we'll stick with Ellis Genge. But I'm going to throw it back into the mix as well. And I'm not saying he's a better signing than Ellis Genge because I think Ellis Genge is a worldie of a signing for Bristol. But Jimmy Gopeth, I think his move from Wasps to Leicester, I'm an aura Jimmy Gopeth. I went to watch their preseason game a week and a half ago against Newcastle Falcons. He is 39 years of age. He is going to the cow sheds and back. He is being physical. But what I do think, with the fact that Leicester have lost George Ford, who I think will be a great signing for sale when he's fit, as you said, Jim. Freddie Burns is at 10 for Leicester. Obviously, Dan Kelly is a is an inside centre with great promise. He's got some issues as well. But Jimmy Gopeth, his knowledge, you look at what Wiggy did for Leicester last year, especially in the final coming up against Saracens and his experience, how that helped. I think Jimmy Gopeth in a similar vein, will be a fantastic signing for Leicester. Playing alongside Freddie Burns at 10, Andre Pollard when he comes in as well. Just having Jimmy there as someone that knows the Premiership inside and out. And as you said many times, Jim, about how good Gopeth's been. I know he's 39. How he's still going at 39 is just phenomenal, but he is. So I think he'd be a really good signing. But for me, Ellis Genji is the big one. The bit that we've all been waiting for, predictions. Who's top four? Oh, who knows? I'll leave it at that, yeah? Come on. <laughs> I spoke to George Givington, actually, at the game. Gorgeous George, huge amount of respect for him. I'm, I'm so happy. Top four? I don't know. It's, I, I, I genuinely, um, I'm finding it hard to give an answer. So I might let Goody go first, but I'll just say what he said to me. I said, oh, how are you going to go this year? Just, you know, we're in the lift. That was it. It's kind of I, what you say, don't you? He was like, without giving you a media answer, because it isn't media, even though we've got the biggest podcast in the world, humbly. He was like, it's, it is so hard to call because Bristol underperformed last year, Extra underperformed last year. Bath, obviously, underperformed last year. I don't think Bath will be anywhere near it while he being horrible, but Leicester overperformed, you could say. 
Gloucester overperformed. Sarries were there or thereabouts throughout the year. So it is hard to call because the big ones were that Bristol and Exeter weren't at the races. London Irish, Northampton. Go on, Goody. I'm just naming teams. I wrote them all down. I started trying to break it down into where I think they'd finish. So I could find three teams in the top four quite comfortably who I think will be there again. So I think Leicester, Saracens and Quinns will definitely be in the top four. And then it's a bun fight. What does that look like? What does a bun fight look like? Well, basically loads of teams just going out that fourth spot. Now, Saints, Bristol, Gloucester, Exeter, Sale. I think Sale will come good at the end of the year. I'm going to tip them. Even though they've lost Fafta Clerk, they've lost Luke Diaga, but they've signed Johnny Hill. They've got George Ford. Manu's going to be good this year, I reckon, with the World Cup on, 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 the, uh, on the horizon. Irish, I don't think, will be as good. They've lost Albert Tuasui, who was massive for them. Wasps will be better than they were last year, but I don't think they'll be good enough for top four. Northampton? Oh, Saints, is my t- Saints will sail on my two teams to make that fourth spot. So I'm going to put my neck on the line and I'm going to go. My top four is Tigers, Saracens, Quinns and Saints. Oh. I'm going to go all them three that you mentioned and not Saints as my fourth. I'm going to go Gloucester. And I say that, Jake Pelledry's fit again. How good is it seeing him back? And because I've spent a bit of time with the Gloucester lads. <laughs> so I feel <laughs> affiliation. I, I, I apologise again. This time last year, I predicted Gloucester would finish bottom. And who'd have thought that I motivated them to make the Champions Cup by saying that? And then I went on a bike ride with the lads for Ed Slater. For three miles. Oh, mate, I did 40. I did a good 40 miles. <laughs> you, you boys did about 400, but I did 40. I'm a closet Gloucester fan now. I am. I'm going to back the boys now. I'm, I'm going to back them properly now. I feel a, a, a tight affiliation. So, me three old clubs in the top three. And Harlequins, now nah, I can't see it. Fuck it, I'm going to put Northampton in there. Quins ain't making top four. <laughs> they ain't making, they're not making top six. I'm going, I'm, so in any order, but let's do it in the order. I'm going to go Sarries, Leicester. Although Sarries are in transition, they need, need a scrum half, I think. Anyway, Sarries, Leicester... Gloucester, Northampton. Boom. Goody, you motivated Gloucester last year. Who are you motivating this year? Who's finishing bottom? Should we say bottom two? I've got a bottom three, actually. I think if Worcester get through this, this has been a good thing for them. I think this could be the turning point of their history, right? As in, they've been through something that is like, it's bigger than the game, right? So I think they're not going to be bottom. I think Newcastle are going to be bottom. They haven't signed anyone really... They've had a change of guard. What I was hearing that things weren't great between Dino and Dave Walder. I've heard that they're going to throw the ball around like the All Blacks. Nah, you're not. I reckon Newcastle finished bottom. Why have been honourable to my old club? Who have they signed, Andrew? Yeah, you're right. For me, it's between Bath, Worcester and Newcastle. And I'm with I'm with you, Jim. I think Newcastle finished bottom, I'm afraid. I think Irish might struggle as well. I don't know why. Just a guess. But I guess right last year. Hey, shall we talk about the Rugby Championship, guys? Oh, Andy Rowe, hold on. If we'd been doing the podcast a week earlier, you would not have said that with such vigour. You'd have said, let's not talk about the Rugby Championship because <laughs> Argentina pulled the All Blacks pants down. But this week, because you put 50 uh, on Argentina, you're all happy again, aren't you, son? I'm very happy. Hell of a battle going on at the top of the table there. How much has rugby media come on? You know, like the cheap memes and stuff like that, where I think Rugby Pass have published a few ball carrier are all over it as well, like you know, publishing the the table upside down. So New Zealand were actually top, but they were bottom banter. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But you had to read it upside down. Mm. So look, he's not—he's hating it. Andy Rose, like he just hey, doesn't know where to go with it. We're on ten points. Everyone else is on nine. So well, it's come back round, doesn't it? Under pressure though. It's a hell of a tournament at the minute, isn't it? Obviously, everyone's beating everyone, and it's all going to ball down to the last two rounds. Where friend of the show and good friend of mine, Andy Brace, is refereeing the Bledisloe game, the last one. Andy Rowe. So, no, Ooh, but I said game. to him, 
I'll let, he won't mind me saying this. No better man to fuck it up. <laughs> well, he'll be damned if he does and damned yeah. if he doesn't. Either way, it's yeah. his fault. Whoever wins, it's like it's the ref's fault. So it don't really matter. Did you see the handshakes after or the non-event handshakes? The handshake snubs. Yeah, I did. Pablo Matera on Dane Coles. What I did enjoy was Ian Foster's interview yeah. after, who I've warmed to saying that, well, yeah, no no one shakes Coles' hand. <laughs> Something like that. He won't be the first. He must be the most niggly player to play against in the world. Well, who's currently playing? Yeah, currently playing he is. Yeah, definitely. Of course he is. Yeah, but historically not. I don't know what I reckon, and I tweeted about it. I reckon he's given them some shit on the pitch and said, if you, well, everyone knows it's now a world rugby renowned rule. If you get beat by 50, you ain't allowed out. Like, you ain't. <laughs> don't matter who it is. I reckon Colsey's reminded Matera that that's what's happened. And he's raging because Matera, off the back of the week before, has booked a table, vodka. Where was the game? Was it Auckland? No, it was in Hamilton. Oh, God. Well, who wants to go out in Hamilton? So they could have had a table booked in, in Auckland. Because it's like, what is it, an hour and 20 minutes or something up to Auckland? It's irrelevant. They, they ain't allowed out. Have you guys ever been in a situation where after the game someone hasn't shaken your hand? Surely, Goody. I certainly have. It has happened to me, yes. It was, funnily enough, playing for Newcastle against Harlequins, your favourite team, Jim. It was when I came out of retirement, so I'd done a bit of media work, come back out of retirement for Newcastle. I don't know, I ever talked about it when I saved them from relegation. No, I don't yeah, think he did. No, he has. He's, he's no, told, he? Yeah, 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 he's told, he said it. I have told you. Anyway, the turnaround happened with a game against Harlequins up at Kingston Park. Started on the bench. Came on for the last 20 minutes, kicked four penalties, put us in the lead. We end up winning the game. Dave Ward, the ex-spitting Harlequins <laughs> hooker, <laughs> he refused to shake my hand after the game. So going around, and we were obviously pretty happy, and he wouldn't shake my hand. So I tried to walk around the pitch with my hand out, trying to shake it. And I've actually, I, I think in the archives, I've got the video, because our video man... At Newcastle at the time, found the video and uh, he wasn't having it. And Sinclair was like, fuck all you. He was going a bit mad. And then Sinclair came to realise that he should just shake the hand and he was all right. He's like, he's a dickhead. Don't worry about it. I'll sort it out. What, as in who's a dickhead? You or Dave Ward? No, Dave Ward. Dave so, Ward. So, yeah, effectively, Dave Ward refused to shake my hand. And, why? Um, You've not said why? Well, I, I got to the bottom of it. Nick Easter, good friend of mine. I said, your mate Dave Ward, he goes... He ain't no fucking mate of mine. That's what Nick Easter said. <laughs> <laughs> he said that I, he, he got to the bottom of it. Apparently, I'd commentated on TV and I'd given Dave Ward a bit of stick about something. I think he bit a player and didn't get banned or uh, something along those lines. And uh, it went to a, a judicial hearing. And apparently, the judicial hearing sent in the wrong picture. So he got acquitted. He went boasting about it back to the Quins boys. Anyway, long story short, he wasn't happy with what I'd said on TV. He wouldn't shake my hand. Newcastle won. I've got the video, so I'll try and pull it out for social media, shall I? Yeah, we need proof. Mm. Jim, has that happened to you? No, I have can't remember. No, I think I've shaken everyone's hand. David Pace? Yeah, I think... Well, we had a beer after, so that counts, doesn't it? Mm. Or not? Tangy Thackenbell when he was knocking boys out. And the other... What was the other lad that was knocking boys out for fun? A guy called Trevor Anus. <laughs> <laughs> what about Itzabeth? Yeah, it's a Beth. We're mates, aren't we? Did you see him on the weekend? Well, he looks angry, yeah. Oh, my eyeballs. Yeah, he's got eyeballs. You know what? One thing that I was out for dinner with Francois Pinar in New York the other night. Oh, here we go. I know. I was getting overwhelmed. I'm next to DJ Kelly in this pub. And there's obviously a lot of hysteria that, you know, you need to be seen, don't you? So, cheers. You know when you cheers a glass of vintage red wine, which I very rarely do. Like, we're going around the table cheersing, but... Because my hands are still fucked from the cycle, my hands are numb, I can't really feel them. So I've got this 
red wine in the glass, and it's obviously a vintage one. Cheers in, but I'm not looking him in the eye. So I cheers, and then mid-table, he does like a Henry to a Lang. He's like, oi. So I go, yeah. And he goes, cheers again, and then I cheers, then move. I didn't look at him in the eye. I, I, I didn't, I mean, I'm not part of these circles, am I? I'm not like, you know, Andy Good, Michael Owen, Johnny Sexton, you know. Yeah. I, I'm DJ Cali, like we're at the roots. I thought you meant DJ Khaled. Oh, it's DJ Khaled, isn't it? I thought it was DJ Cali. <laughs> <laughs> DJ Cali. Right, shall we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's do that. We'll start off over in France, but with a South African twist. And Madouche Tambwe, who uh, is a South African fella making his debut for Bordeaux. He scored two pretty decent tries at the weekend. They did, however, lose to Toulouse. Uh, and we'll mention that in a bit as well. Morgan Parra over in France. Top 14 kicked off at the weekend. He moved to Stade Francais. So weird seeing him in a pink jersey. Did not know that. Yeah, he's moved to Stade Francais. His first game, Jim, was against... Who? Clermont. Didn't his old club. Oh, was it? <laughs> it was, yeah. Anyway, he led them to a victory over Claremont for the first game of the season. So uh, weird to see Morgan Power in a pink jersey, but he had a hell of a game. Skinhead or not? Or full on biscuit? Because he was losing it, weren't he? Yeah, strugglestreet.com. Yeah, that's fine. That's age. I know a hair man. But anyway, good win for Stade Francais. First game of the season. What else was good? Two away wins in the top 14. Leon got an away victory at my old club, Breve. Tough start of the season to Breve. But also Toulouse, who I mentioned before, they got a good victory down at Bordeaux. Bordeaux are pretty special at home, so uh, they get a mention in the good. What else was good? The All Blacks. Yes. Yeah, they may have lost to Argentina last week. And imagine if we did on a podcast last week, they got absolutely spanked 25-18. But they bounced back with an incredible performance, actually. 53 points to three against the Pumas. So tip of the slipper to them. Pretty bad conditions at times and only three handling errors in the whole 80 minutes. So... Uh, that was outstanding work. But the good this week goes to Eben Etzebeth and his South African colleagues. Hell of a bounce back from... They got destroyed, didn't they, by Australia the week before. A load of stuff in the press around Nick White getting his moustache slapped off. There was a bit of heat in that South African performance. Their bounce back and their victory in Sydney. The Springboks, they get the good this week. Here, here. A few bits of bad news this week. We're going to start off with the Times publication, James. I mean, you've got a bit of influence there, haven't you? Yeah, but I agree with you on this. Yeah, I mean, absolutely awful. They mixed up Lewis Ludlow and Lewis Ludlum in the newspaper. So, obviously, Lewis Ludlow's done an interview, uh, and they've put a picture of Lewis Ludlum up. Two very different people, play the same position. It's very similar names, though. Very similar names. Yeah, different clubs, different people. Yeah, pretty poor from the Times. Other bad news, the unsustainable levels of debt in the Premiership. We've covered that pretty significantly in this podcast, but the uh, reports that came out over the weekend, while some of the figures may not be wholly accurate, at this present moment, there's obviously a lot of financial insecurity around the premierships. So that's pretty bad form. What else was bad? Well, the bad this week can only go to one thing. Some really bad news coming out of France today, actually. And it involves one of their star players, Viremi Vakatawa. He has been banned from playing in France on medical grounds by the LNR, the Ligue Nationale Rugby Medical Commission. You have to have a license over in France to play. They do a, a test on your spine, on your neck, and they do sort of cardiovascular heart tests and lung tests and everything like that. So they haven't given him a license to play in France this year. One of France's best players. So, yeah, really tough news on him, his family, Obviously, Rassi 92, the French national team, the knock-on effect of that as well. He's an absolute superstar. We hope he's okay. We don't know what the reason is behind it. I think there's a press conference being announced for tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, when this podcast comes out. But, yeah, really bad news. If Firmi Vakatawa has to retire or can't play in France because of medical reasons, then um, it's a really bad 
state of affairs and some sad news for him and his family. Yeah, it is. He's quality he is. So hopefully watch this space. Uh, the ugly, couple of bits of ugly. First and foremost, we found a red card at the weekend and it was Alban Placines, the back row for Toulouse. The most pathetic part. It's a Jim Hamilton punch, but he got red carded for it uh, in the game against Bordeaux. Jim, you'd have been proud of it. It'd have been one of your best shots, but it was pathetic. If you're going to get a red for punching, you want to give it the full, full David Pace treatment, don't you? Another bit of ugly was the state of 2L Trainee's shorts. Do we all know who 2L Trainee is, Jim? No. Who is it? The assistant referee in the game between South Africa and Australia. I gave him loads of stick last year. He was I was commentating on the game where he wore hiking boots to referee. And anyway, he is running the touch at the weekend and he tried to get involved with Etzebeth and Alan Alatoa and absolutely shat himself. You want to see the state of his shorts afterwards. Apparently there's skin marks everywhere. So he gets a mention of the ugly. But the ugly, unfortunately, this week has to go. We've had Steve Diamond on. The situation that we've heard and read about and spoken about at length at Worcester with the players not being paid has been pretty ugly. We hope they pull through as a club and then they'll be back in the good, hopefully, over the next few weeks if the owners secure the club or some new owners come in. But the situation at Worcester with players not being paid and, more importantly, the staff only being paid 65% of their wages gets the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And Jim, you've got a shout-out, don't you? Yeah, I have. Just the one. And it's off the back of the game at the weekend. I thought the shirt that I wore was going to go for millions of pounds. It was close. Do you have your name on the back of it? No, I didn't know. God, Goody, man. This has come out a week too late. Value. But anyway, Tim from Sirencester Rugby Club saw huge value in it and dug deep to buy the shirt with the funds going to Billy Twelve Trees, three charities, one of which is for Ed Slater. So a big thank you to Tim at Sirencester Rugby Club. There's some great people out there, isn't there? Like, there really just is. is. Yeah. So cheers, Tim. Thanks, Jim. Thanks again, Goody. Thanks, producers Tristan and Rob. And thank you very much for listening. And we will be doing shout-outs, as I mentioned earlier, again this season. But if you've got any video clips from your club, any skills or or slip-ups on the pitch, or any funny moments off it, send them to us either on social media or to rob at therugbypod.com, and we'll get the lads, we'll get you boys to, to react to it. We will. The best be good, the best be funny. Maybe the good, the bad, the funny. No, I want to see weird. Yeah, yeah. I do want to see weird. Send in some weird stuff. Yeah, let's see it. I like weird things. We're going down a rabbit hole here. Hopefully it's a, a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. And don't forget to check us out on YouTube and TikTok and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. You see what I've done there? New one. Spotted pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.